Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. Spring is just around the corner, at least that's what a certain groundhog would have us believe. And as spring nears, demand for cut flowers grows. The Netherlands is the number one producer of cut flowers in the world. Now, many of the flowers we buy in the United States are grown domestically or in other countries like Colombia, Canada, or Ecuador. But worldwide, the Netherlands is the number one supplier. Randall Voss is an Iowa State University Extension commercial fruit crop specialist, but he has some personal insight into flower production in the Netherlands. Randall, welcome. Hey, good morning. It's great to have you here. So tell me about this personal connection. When did you spend time in the Netherlands? Yeah, so when I was in college, um, the college I went to was called Door College, and they had a off-campus program in the Netherlands. And so I, I did that. So it'd be like 99, 2000. And uh, what I did, I did an internship at a, at, a, at a flower grower. So they grew bulbs in the field, so tulip bulbs, and we grew cut flowers in the greenhouse. And so I got to spend a, a, a six months or so with them. Well, and I, I think when we think about the Netherlands, of course, we think about tulips and we think about all of those tulip bulbs. And uh, so you were involved in, in bulb production as well as the cut flowers. But cut flowers, are those are not the ones that we see in those tourist brochures about the Netherlands, those fields of tulips, are they? Yeah, most of those bulbs you see in the fields, or excuse me, the flowers you see in the fields are actually grown to to sell the bulbs. They actually, uh, if they're grown in the field, they usually actually cut the flowers off once they, they open up. And the, the purpose of that is to put the energy towards growing the bulb rather than the flower. And the bulk of the cut flowers you see in the market are actually, actually grown in a greenhouse. So what is that like? I mean, when you're producing cut flowers in a greenhouse, you're producing a lot of flowers to be able to make a profit. I'm sure this is really intensive. Just give me kind of an idea of the scope. So yeah, there's there's all different scales uh, of how they do it, but um, a lot of them now are actually grown hydroponically. The place I worked at, uh, we were a little more niche products, so we didn't grow them hydroponically, but the, the bulk of cut flowers, or a lot of them in the Netherlands now, they have these shallow trays, maybe you know, three foot by two foot with these little spikes on it. If you think of like track spikes and they stab the bulbs, uh, they, they chill the bulbs in a cooler and then they stab them on these little spikes and uh, put them in a thin layer of water and start to, to force them in a greenhouse. And a lot of this is mechanized where, um, you know, a person doesn't have to move all these heavy trays. It's, it's done by machinery. And, and then basically... In about 20 days, they go from in the greenhouse to being sold all around the world. So you have to be fast because people yeah. want these <laughs> people want these flowers to last a long time or at least as long yeah. as possible, right? Yeah, you know, flowers, they, they say once you cut it, the, the timer's ticking. And so uh, especially with, with bulb crops, you know, they're really, when you think about when tulips bloom here in Iowa, it's, you know, late April, early May, and, you know, it's still, you know, 40 degrees out, maybe 50, something like that. And when people put them in their homes, it's like 70 degrees. So um, the shelf life in someone's home is, is quite short for these, these, these flowers. They, they want to get them quick to the market so that the, the person buying them 
gets the maximum, you know, length of enjoyment. Right. Although we thrust them into summer, just the, the moment we bring them home, right? <laughs> yeah. Unless you're like me, you don't heat your house to 70, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so just an added benefit of uh, being frugal there. Um, yeah. With the cut flowers, the length of stem is a pretty important part of how much of a, a profit you can make on these flowers. Tell me about that equation. Yeah, so you know, uh, a lot of one of the factors that these growers get paid on is um, a couple of factors. One is they they in the larger companies they actually image the the flowers to see how heavy the blossom is, and then they'll kind of sort them accordingly. But another factor is how long the stem is. Uh, you know, some of the the niche varieties uh, maybe don't have as long a stem, and if you can get an extra centimeter of stem on these plants it just increases what you can do with them. You know, you can put them in a taller vase or arrange them more. And so there's a lot of factors that these growers get paid on. And some is like the, the, the weight of the bloom, but also the stem length. And so some of them will go to different um, methods to try and increase that stem length to get that the extra little bit of money. Tell me how you do that. Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways. Um, the longer a, a bulb is in a cooler, uh, the more it's going to stretch. And so if we were going to sell tulips in like a pot, we'd only want it in the cooler the, the minimum amount of time because uh, these tulips or daffodils or whatever are growing in pots, we don't want them to stretch. If we're growing them as cut flowers, we keep them in the cooler longer than if we're growing them as potted plants because we want that plant to stretch. And you can do other things too. Um, the, the place I worked at, um, my favorite tulip was Princess Arena, and it's kind of a shorter, shorter stem variety. And we put burlap over it to try and, you know, starve it of a little bit of light to force it to stretch. So there's, there's different ways you can do that. Uh, one is putting them in the cooler longer. Other ways are, are giving it dilute light for a while. All right. And with cut flowers, do you have advice for those of us who might want to buy them? When we go to the store and we look at these bouquets, of course, we are attracted to the most beautiful, <laughs> the, the most yeah. vibrant. But what should we be thinking about if we want them to last the longest? Yeah, really, um, the ones that are fully open are ones I would avoid. Um, that's especially, you know, tulips and hyacinth have a, a fair bit of shelf life. But if you're buying you know, things like crocus and so forth, you, you really want to get them before they're showing color. In, in, in the case of crocus, uh, the, you know, they last so, so short of a life in the spring as it is. And if you're going to bring it in your warm house, uh, if you're buying like a, a crocus, not that we sell those as cut flowers, but as potted plants, you, you want to buy it before it's really, you know, it's got green leaves, but not showing any color because the shelf life is so short. So in, in the cut flower side, tulips and so forth, you, you want them to have color because if those blossoms aren't showing color, the chances of them actually opening in your in your home are, are a little bit less. But you don't want them to be actually open. Some people call it the, like the marshmallow stage when you kind of squeeze them. They're kind of spongy. Not that I recommend you people go and squeeze the bouquets at the grocery store and so oh, forth. people to ruin do them, that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, I've, probably. I've seen that. <laughs> But that's not that's not your recommendation. But that's what you're, well, you're looking it, for something that might feel like that. If you were a person who yeah. was going to squeeze all the flowers, if you're gentle, you're okay. But you know, <laughs> not everyone's gentle. But yeah, yep. right. 
So something else that we see in the store in the springtime and that we just love to bring home are forced bulbs. So, you know, bulbs that they're in a a flower pot and they bloom just a few weeks before the flowers out in our yards are going to bloom. When we're buying those, do you have advice on, on what we should be looking for with those as well? Yeah, it probably depends on on the species. Um, in like in like hyacinth and tulips, again, you want a little bit of color in those flowers, um, just because you know we're in the greenhouse. They're getting about half full sun, give or take. You put them in your house, and they're getting one percent full sun. Even if you put it in your window, it's it's not getting much light, and so. Um, for those, it, it'd be best if they have the flowers have a little bit of color on them just so they, they open normally. But something like Dutch iris or crocus, uh, especially crocus, again, you, you don't want any color. You just want to see kind of those, those green, green leaves because the, the, the speed of how they bloom is so quick. And the closed when you do bring buds. them into your home. Yeah. 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 When you do bring them into your home. You know, avoid putting them by a register or a really hot spot, you know, like uh, it's perfectly fine to keep them in a cool window because that's going to be a more, quote, natural environment to them because they're, they're, they're native, so to speak, to cool spring temperatures. Now, you can force bulbs. You can grow your own beautiful blooms this time of year. But if you want to do that, you would have had to be thinking about it a couple of months ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So the way most bulbs are sold is is they, they dig them in the field in the summer, and then they're stored in kind of climate-controlled areas, and then you have to chill them. Um, there are some companies that are selling what are called pre-cooled bulbs um, that are kind of a niche product that they've done the cooling for you, but it's, it's hard for the public to find those products. And so the bulk of the general public, yeah, you're going to have to buy them in the fall and, and chill them yourself. All right. And if you chill them yourself, what do you have to do to to make sure that they've had that cold period and you can force them into blossom in the spring? Yeah, we're just, you know, basically mimicking nature. So what typically is done is, is they're potted up and they're kept at around 50 degrees for a couple of weeks to kind of mimic fall. And then uh, we, we try and bring them as close to freezing as possible. Um, so, you know, 34 degrees, give or take. And every variety has a different chill number of chill weeks. And there are some resources out there if people want to get that hardcore into it. But basically if you give it around 16 weeks near freezing for most varieties, that's going to be enough. And then uh, you would bring it out into the light. And um, I would kind of discourage you from going from 34 degrees to 80 degrees because <laughs> um, some, some plants like hyacinth, I call it spitting. They they grow so fast that the the flower actually detaches from from it, and so you spent all that time and 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 those flowers detach. So you want to kind of gradually bring it, you know, up to temperature. But again, best best growing for these bulbs is you know fifty sixty degrees, and you can do that in a home. Uh, but they're gonna gonna be a little stretchy on you. So you just want to be conscientious of that that you're buying cultivars that aren't super stretchy to begin with. You know, a lot of people love like the, the Darwin hybrid tulips that get, you know, two feet tall in their backyard. And, and while they're beautiful, they're probably not a great choice for forcing just because they're going to get even taller in your, in your home where they have dilute light. Do you have forced bulbs or nearly forced bulbs in your home right now, Randall? 
I I don't. Sorry. I, I've, <laughs> I've, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm preaching it and I'm not uh, acting on it. But I, I taught at DMAC for 15 years and we'd force bulbs every year for cut flowers and pots. So I, I've, I've done it a lot. Just I, I don't have any of this. Now year, you're sorry. picking them up at the grocery store like the rest of us, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right. Randall Voss, Iowa State University commercial fruit crop specialist. We've been talking about cut flower production and forcing bulbs. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day, and you are welcome to join the conversation today with your questions about all the things you'd like to grow or grow better. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or you can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Randall Voss is here today, Iowa State University commercial fruit crop specialist, and Aaron Style, Iowa State University extension horticulture specialist. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. Wonderful to have both of you here today. And we've already got a bunch of questions to answer. But Randall, before we move into that, I want to ask you one more question about that cool period for bulbs. Um, A lot of us, of course, when we think about chilling something for a long time, we think about our refrigerators. But if we put them in a normal modern refrigerator, won't we have a desiccation problem? Yeah. And, and if you have fruit, you know, the ethylene from that fruit can kind of hurt things. So, um, you know, maybe you have two fridges, right? You're a hardcore bulb person. You have one fridge for bulbs and and one for not, you know, for your food, but, uh, yeah, you need to water them, uh, if you're going to do something like that, but even an insulated garage, um, you, you could probably get away with, um, not heated obviously, but, uh, yeah, you gotta be careful about desiccation. So definitely, you have to water them throughout that dormant period or cooling period if, if you don't have humidity control. All right. Just <laughs> good to note so we don't spend a lot of months chilling something that isn't going to grow. Um, let's dive right into these questions. I've got a question from Pat Noonan of Cascade. He says, I have a Holmstrup arborvitae. Actually, a cluster of three trunks coming out of the ground together. One's about 10 foot tall and the other two are five feet and six feet tall. Planted about 15 years ago in the corner of our house and doing well. When I first noticed after the snowstorm, their compromised condition, they were practically level with the ground. After I knocked off gently as much of the snow as I could and kind of released it from where it was frozen to the ground, they bounced up a little bit. Just looking at them now, they're probably a little less than 45 degrees, so they are moving up. There are no cracks in the trunks. Just wondering if they'll ever make it back to vertical and if there's anything I can do to help them. Yeah, they likely will get pretty close. It's always surprising to me how that happens. Um, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty large um, 
shrub tree to be almost flat on the ground. So it may take a little while, but especially after things warm up, um, they should straighten out. It probably won't be 100%, um, but uh, it will get fairly close, um, probably something that you wouldn't have necessarily noticed um, uh, if you only saw it during the growing season and, and missed the whole snow event. You can uh, prop them up a little bit if you really wanted to, but um, you would have to make sure that you do that carefully. And I would imagine that would be kind of difficult with a tree this large. So um, I would wait to see. They are they will move up eventually, and they'll probably get most of the way there. And if they don't, or if it's not quite where you want it to be, you can uh, kind of prop them up a little bit um, to get them back there. But if there's no cracking or anything like that, they do recover. All right. I'm, I'm sure that Pat is not the only one worried about this, as we talked about. Yeah, no, I have the same yeah. situation at home. <laughs> <laughs> that snow was really, really heavy. And then followed by yes. that terrible cold, it just stayed on the trees for so long. So, And of course, now it's all melted away and our trees are trying to stand up again. You can call with your questions at 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Dave is on the line in Ames. Hi, Dave. I bet there's a lot of folks that have amaryllis bulbs from Christmas that they think they just should throw them out now because they're all done. But I just wanted to share a tip that I have. I had one that just flowered this week that's three years old and uh, you know, you can keep those through the summer and let them rest, and then they'll flower again. But uh, I don't know. I, I have a couple of tips on that that it works. Well, good. So you, you've had a lot of success with that, Dave, huh? Well, yeah, I kind of worked on it for a while. It's kind of a little hobby. I think I got six or eight amaryllises around now. I buy a couple of new ones every year. But in spring, I'll transplant them into a much bigger plastic pot with the nice potting soil and then they're outside all summer but those big leaves use a lot of water and then at the end of september i bring them in put them in the dark dry them out and then i take the bulb out of the dry soil and clean it off and then about two months later it's ready to go all over again nice well dave thanks so much for calling and sharing and uh, i know a lot of people do treat them as if they are disposable and no one is casting any shade there because of course we need to keep growers in business as well. But <laughs> Randall, you want to add any advice to, to what Dave was saying about keeping your amaryllis bulbs going? No, I, yeah, it's, it's a time commitment, right? And so, uh, like, like you said, um, it, it takes diligence. Don't overwater them. You know, sometimes people think things are, are, are dead if they don't have active leaves, but, um, like you said, the growers appreciate you buying new ones too. All right. Well, I'd love to see Dave's collection. I'm sure that's really, really beautiful. Um, back to email. And if you have a question, you can email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Phone questions, 866-780-9100. Di writes, I just read an article on pruning oak trees. I lost an ash tree to the ash borer, actually three large trees. I have a sucker living at the base of one, and it's now over six feet tall. Will that get the ash borer too? And should I cut it or should I just let it grow? It looks very healthy now. <laughs> the short answer is yes. It will get the ash it borer. It will. Yeah. It will, unfortunately. Um, the, the, this invasive insect has um, essentially made um, ash tree uh, an unusable 
tree in our landscapes. Um, it won't get it right away, of course, uh, but it will eventually. So it would be best to trim it off uh, and, and plant something new, something that's not an ash, um, and uh, hopefully something that's not represented elsewhere in your yard or nearby in your neighborhood. All right. Diversity, 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 right? Yes. All yes. right. Here's a question from Roger. He says, what would cause a natural colored lilac, and I'm not sure what natural color it is, but a natural colored lilac to have white flowers last year in 2023? Approximately 10 years mm -hmm. ago, the bush got sprayed with weed killer and barely survived when the previous owner had the yard sprayed. I left it alone as it was slowly coming back. In 2021 and 2022, it had a few colored flower bunches on it. But last year, in 2023, they were white and with a good mm -hmm. number of bunches for the size of the bush. It's approximately five foot tall now. Yeah. You know, we've seen this uh earlier years, too. I think it was 2022 that we saw this quite a bit. And we don't know for sure exactly what's going on here, but um, the, the suspected culprit is um, uh, fluctuating or really warm temperatures at a very specific point in the flower's development. We do know that the anthocyanins, which gives the, the reddish tones that it has, so that's going to be what makes it pink or purple, right? The, those reddish tones. Um, we do know that those break down more readily than other pigments um, in high temperatures. And so um, our best guess as to what's going on is that at a certain point in development, they're particularly prone um, to high temperatures causing this, and those anthocyanins are broken down, and what's left behind is, is a white flower. Um, again, we don't know that for sure, um, but that's that's kind of the, the kind of running um, idea right now. So... Uh, it doesn't hurt the plant overall, other than cause the stress that was caused from, you know, warm temperatures uh, when the plant really doesn't appreciate it. Um, and it's likely that next year it'll be back to normal. Um, but uh, that's kind of what we suspect is, is happening. And uh, with temperatures kind of fluctuating, it seems, um, and our springs, uh, last couple springs in particular, have been very warm uh, at times. And... Uh, if we see that more and more, we're likely to see uh, funny things like this a little bit more. All right. And when you say we saw that quite a lot, did we just see that on lilacs or, or did we see yeah, it in others? Yeah, it's a lilac thing. Okay. Yeah, it was a lilac thing. And I saw it across the state. We were getting quite a few questions about it. And because it is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have a pink Wait, lilac. And I this planted a purple white. one here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it seems to be, uh, and especially if it comes next year without any uh, back to its original color, it's a response to an environmental uh, condition. And um, for many of them, it's because uh, of those kind of extreme warm temperatures at a very specific point in the flower's development. Interesting. Well, thanks so much for that question. I had not observed that one. You can give us a call with your questions, 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Marilyn's on the line next in Waverly. Hi, Marilyn. Good morning. Hi, what's your question? Um, I have tulips coming up on the west side of my foundation and i was wondering if they will survive or what i should do oh wow uh, <laughs> randall do you want to take that one uh tbd <laughs> to be decided <laughs> yeah uh yeah 
not too worried about it for most situations, but you know, since they're, you know, maybe near your foundation, it, it's, it's a fair bit warmer. Um, so there, there might be concern there, but, um, you know, na- nature is very unpredictable. Um, and so I wouldn't panic yet, but, um, you know, if we get real, real cold again, there, there's a chance that there'll be some damage. So, okay. So if they don't get a snow cover and it gets down to 20 degrees, should I leave them go or cover them or, uh, you know, 20 degrees is probably not a problem. It's, it's when we get, you know, colder than that. So, um, oh. yeah, if there's no snow, you can cover a straw or, or something like that. If you're, if you're, um, concerned about it, but 20 degrees, I wouldn't be worried about it would be, you know, lower than 10 degrees or, or less than 20 would be where the, the danger would be. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Thank Marilyn, so don't much. don't go quite yet because I have a a labor saving <laughs> question for for Randall. So, if she wanted to cover them with straw now, would that just encourage them to grow faster while it's warm, or is that something she could do as an insurance policy? Um, I don't think it would change a whole lot. You know, our soils are already above freezing right now. I, I looked at the soil temps the other day, and in most places we were at thirty four inches uh, or thirty four degrees at the four inch place. So, um. It, you know, if the sun's not hitting that that dark soil, it might actually prevent it from warming up as quick now. So, you know, those mulches kind of buffer temperature, um, those organic mulches. So in the winter, it's a little bit bit warmer. In the summer, it's a little bit cooler. In the spring, it, it may not change it a whole lot. So it, it, I guess it'd be too hard to predict if, if it have a positive or negative impact on like the soil temp, but, but at least keep the air temp around those leaves, you know, from fluctuating so much because they're because they're covered. All right, so maybe putting some straw out this weekend while it's nice and you're not trying to beat a blizzard that that might be a good idea. Yeah, and, and hope for some cooler weather and snow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marilyn, thank you so much for the call and good luck with that. Eight six six seven eight zero ninety one hundred is the number to call. Email talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, Randall, I want to ask a follow up about the soil temperature, though. Um, the fact that the soil is above freezing down to that four inch level does that mean that as we've had all of this melting, that we're actually replenishing? the the moisture level in our soil since we've been so dry yeah i mean we've been super dry and so it, it is a positive in that sense yeah um the one thing i will say is you know a foot of snow only is about an inch of water so it's going to take quite a bit to to kind of recover from this couple of years of drought that most of iowa's had and it you know when it's muddy outside it doesn't seem like that but uh Probably at deeper subsoil, we're still probably on the dry side, but it's a positive thing. You know, we, we are regaining some soil moisture. All right, let's go back to the phones. 866-780-9100. Mary Rose is on the line in Muscatine. Hello. Uh, hi, Charity. I love your program. Oh, thank you. Uh, my question, sure. My question is, I tried the winter seed sowing this year in the milk jugs. And I waited until after we had all the snow and the cold weather, and I put my jugs outside. Then it got so warm. Will my seeds germinate? What What do I do? Aaron? They may germinate, depending on how warm it gets. And if they do germinate and it gets cold again, they're definitely at a pretty good risk of, of seeing damage or dying. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. And so if you can oh. get them to, in particular, get them to a shady, protected spot, just like Randall was talking before, trying to buffer the changes in temperature will be really helpful here. So getting them out well, of we, the full sun we, where they can absorb a lot of heat and that kind of thing will be really helpful. We did that. We put them in a sh okay. shaded location and even shoveled some snow around them. But now that snow has mm. melted, too. Yeah, yeah. So I wondered keep an eye uh, how long. It. Okay. Yep. Most we'll of those that. seeds are going to germinate, um, uh, you know, over a course of a couple of weeks. Um, so I, I would suspect if you're going to see anything pop up, it won't be right now. Um, but if you do see that, then you'll want to get them to a protected spot. You might have to end up bringing them in, putting them under lights or something like that. Most plants do a pretty good job of dealing with some of these. A winter warm-up is not a new thing for Iowa. So most plants do have things in place that prevent them from just jumping the gun right away once it gets warm uh, for this very reason. So I wouldn't be overly, I definitely wouldn't lose sleep over it, at least not yet. But I would keep an eye on them. And if you do see some of them pop up, then you will need to protect them. Well, thank you. You've given me some hope. So good. let's hope. <laughs> All right. Thank good, you. Good luck, Mary Rose. Thanks so much for the call. You can call us, 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And actually a very similar question to Marilyn's from Laura in Fort Dodge. She says, any thoughts on what will happen to my allium bulbs I planted in November that are up about five inches and my hellebore plants that are also growing nicely once it frosts again, which it surely will, maybe, right? <laughs> yeah, probably will get cold again for sure. Most of those early spring blooming bulbs do a uh, are well positioned to um, deal with cold temperatures. So um, you might see a little burning of the leaf tips if it gets super cold again. If there's no flower buds present, um, I wouldn't be too worried yet. Uh, it's not unusual for daffodils, um, hyacinth, allium, uh, snowdrops, crocus, all of these things to emerge a little bit, what we feel like is a little bit early uh, when we have these winter warm-ups. And for the most part, they know how to deal with it. And so they'll probably be okay. The worst that will probably happen if you don't see any flower buds is that you'll have plants with brown leaf tips this spring. Um, but that's a relatively minor thing um, in the grand scheme of things. Right. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. You can join the conversation with your questions at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Randall Voss, Iowa State University Commercial Fruit Crop Specialist. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today, and with me, Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, and Randall Voss, Iowa State University Commercial Fruit Crop Specialist. You are welcome to join the conversation, 866 780 
9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And uh, we've got a question from Joanne full of hope. Joanne says, I didn't get all my daffodil bulbs planted this fall. They've been inside. Could I plant them this week? And would they bloom in the spring? Randall? If inside you mean like in your house, probably not. Um, You know, they need, like say, maybe 12 to 18 weeks of chilling, depending on on the cultivar. Um, Now, if they've been in the fridge or something like that, or or unheated garage where it's been below 50, then a sense you, you did give them what we call pre-cooling and they would, um, then if you plant them right now, it, it might work. Um, so it really depends on what, what you mean by inside, you know, um, if they have not been cooled, if you plant them right now, they might grow, but there'd probably be a bit of an erratic, uh, emergence. Um, so bulbs that, haven't been completely chilled, will sometimes still grow in the spring, but it won't be a predictable way of growing. So they won't come up evenly and, and so forth. So it really depends on if, if inside means, you know, room temperature 70 degrees or, you know, less than 50. Okay. You can give us a call with your questions, 866-780-9100. Steve is on the line. Hi, Steve. Hello. Hi, what's your question? I got a uh, box elder bugs on the west side of the house. Not today. There's no sun, but whenever the sun comes out, I get a couple hundred of them out there. And you're wondering what they're doing? Well, I'd like to know how I can nip them in the bud before they get to the thousand range. Aaron, do you have thoughts on that? I know we don't have an entomologist with us today. I know we don't have. This is where I wish Laura or Zach or or Donald were here. Right. Um, I, I I don't. I mean, for the most part, box elder bugs are what Donald Lewis always referred to as accidental invaders. Um, they're not going to cause a lot of damage. They're more of a nuisance. Um, and I, you know, when it warms up like this, they definitely come out. Stink bugs do the same thing. Um, and so, um, other than uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, removing them physically, removing them, I don't have a lot of. I don't have a lot of good recommendations. I don't know if Randall has more to offer or not. Sorry. <laughs> well, so so just thinking back to all my years of talking to Donald Lewis about box elder bugs, I mean, mm-hmm. I do th- think they tend to cluster when it's chillier. So we see them a lot in clusters in the fall and in the spring. So maybe, well, you should look it up. I'm not an expert, but I think that they may <laughs> they may disperse <laughs> when it gets a little bit warmer. When it gets warmer. warm. Right. When it gets warm, they definitely will disperse that. And, and the side of the house tends to be very warm if the sun's shining on it because of that radiant heating. So um, they will disperse for sure. And, and there are probably uh, there are a lot more box elder bugs out there than we really even know, because they don't tend to actually they, they don't primarily live in our or on our homes. Right. Um, so we don't often see them, even though they're they're all over out there. So, but Steve's question puts me in mind of another question. And, you know, it really was warm yesterday. It was 57 degrees in Waterloo, Iowa yesterday, which is crazy. Um, We are encouraging people to prune their oak trees because this is when there are no pests out. Are we already starting to run out of time to safely do that, Aaron? Potentially. It's, uh, unfortunately, I can't say for sure. 
Um, I would suspect, especially if it stays relatively warm, if we don't get, um, you know, another big cool down, like down into the, you know, teens kind of situation that the, the insect will, that insect that carries that potentially carries that oak wilt virus or or oak wilt back uh, fungus, excuse me, um, could start emerging earlier than it typically does. Um, but that that emergence tends to be more like March. And so even if it's earlier, it wouldn't be this early. Um, so I think we're probably still okay. Just like we talked about earlier with plants, insects have things in place for the most part that keep them from reacting really quickly to uh, these big temperature swings because, of course, winter warm-ups and temperature swings during the winter are nothing new. Um, and so if, if they did came, come out early and then we got a late snap, that's it for those insects, right? So, uh, many of them aren't going to emerge with just a day or two of super warm temperatures. Um, so that, that's working in our favor too. All right. But regardless, this weekend is probably a great pruning weekend, isn't it? Oh, yes. I would say so. And I mean, oaks, beyond oaks for a lot of things, um, out there and you know this is an ideal time to prune fruit trees which of course randall can comment on a lot but uh this is a great time for pruning all right and i've got a new cordless chainsaw i'm very excited about pruning season this year you can call with your questions 866-780-9100 866-780-9100 you can send email to talk of iowa at iowapublicradio.org daniel in iowa city says i have a bunch of spruce slash pine trees that got stripped from hail damage last spring will they come back Mm. It depends on where the damage happened. So spruce um, and many conifers, they grow a little bit differently than the deciduous trees we're familiar with. They, um, they don't have as many secondary, and some of them don't really have any functional secondary buds like a, lot, like a maple tree would. And so if the damage and, and the, the needles were stripped off and all that's left is um, uh, tissue that is a little bit older and there's no buds on it, it may not fill back in or it may take a very long time for it to fill back in. Um, it just depends on where the damage and how how severe the damage was. The best thing you can do is just wait and see. Um, and if it's not living up to your expectations, then um, you would have to replace it. But uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to predict um, not knowing how severe the damage is. Just another wait-and-see scenario. Give us a call at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. We've still got time for a couple more questions this hour. You can give us a call, 866-780-9100, or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. We've got a fruit question for you, Randall. This is from Walter in central Iowa. He says, I have a dwarf peach tree, Reliance variety, that has been in the ground for three or four years. It is very ambitious blooms nicely and sets fruit nicely, but it tore itself to pieces last year with the weight of its fruit. What should I do? Should I be pinching some of the fruit off? Um, so peach trees in general, we, we actually prune pretty aggressively every year because they are a, a fruit that tends to overbear. Um, so I would probably encourage you every year to prune it fairly aggressively um, just because 
if not, you have to hand thin a lot of stuff off. Um, and, uh, so I, I would encourage you to, to prune pretty aggressively on a mature tree. We, we talk about something like 75 ish, you know, nice one-year-old twigs is enough to provide plenty of fruit, but even then, um, you still have to thin. So I would, I would prune like you would normally a peach tree and then see what fruit is actually on next spring. You know, we, we've got down to minus 18 in the many places in, in early January. So there's a chance that you might not have a lot of fruit this year. And so I would just prune them as normal and then uh, wait till after bloom to actually thin off what fruit may or may not be there. Are peach trees, uh, there are so many different kinds of fruit trees that, that kind of give you a, a boom year and then a bust year. Um, do peach trees kind of follow that pattern? Not not as much as apples. They don't have the biennial bearing near as much as like an apple tree. Um, and so in Iowa, it's, it's normally basically how did our winter go, you know? So in Iowa, if we have biennial bearing in like a peach or a cherry or something like that, it's it's probably not as much due to the physiology of the plant. It's more due to how cold was our winter or did we get hit with a late spring frost? All right. And, you know, this winter, I keep having flashbacks to the winter of 2012, which was so warm. And then we had an early blossom set and a late frost and basically no fruit that year. And of course, a terrible drought that followed. So Randall, what's keeping you up at night? (laughs) <laughs> well, those things, but, uh, y- you know, I'm still a little hopeful. Um, you know, a lot of these perennial fruit crops have what's called a, a chilling requirement, kind of like the tulips we talked about. And so roughly it, it, around a thousand chilling hours is what they need before they start to sense that spring is coming and start to potentially bud. And we're last I looked, we're only at like 600 of those chilling hours as of today. And so I'm still hopeful that things will be okay. Um, Chilling hours accumulate between like 32 and 45, depending on the model. And so on these really warm days, um, the plants aren't accumulating chilly hours. And so they may still be fairly dormant right now. And I know it doesn't seem like that, but I wouldn't lose hope. Uh, in terms of for sure, are we going to have an early blossom? It really depends on on the weather. Um, is there a concern? You bet. But not all is lost, you know, and we can't control it anyway. So just just roll with it, see what spring brings. I'd, I'd prune as normal and, and go that way. How cold does it have to be for those chilling hours? Yeah, so the chilling hours, it's kind of like an internal clock that the plant senses fall in spring weather. And so it's its the amount of hours between roughly freezing temperature and roughly 45. And so when it's super cold, like we were in early January, it doesn't count any because um, it's deep winter. It doesn't count that. It only counts uh, the mild temperatures that signal that spring is coming. And so on a day when it's 55 or whatever it was yesterday, it's only really counting chilling hours uh, at night when it's cold, not when it's above 45. So, um, like I say, I was surprised. I thought we were going to be way ahead on chilling hours, um, and and we're a little bit ahead. But you know, if we have a, a, a cool February and a cool March, we we may still be fine. Again, who really knows? Right? right. We can't predict the weather, but not all is lost. 
All right. (laughs) We still enjoy worrying about things that we can't control, though. Um, Here's another fruit question for you. Ben says, I have apricot, nectarine, and cherry trees in central Des Moines. Traditionally, I prune in February when it's cold, but it's very warm now. Should I prune the trees now or wait and hope for colder temperatures? I get it done, right? You know, um, sometimes we maybe overthink things a little bit. it's better to, to prune now than to not get it done. And so, and it's probably actually better to prune now than if it were zero degrees out because in in some plants, there's a little bit of response when you prune that there might be a little bit of a loss of hardiness just temporarily around that, that wound and not like a super big loss in hardiness, just a slight. So doing it now is probably perfectly fine. You know, those plants are still dormant. I know it doesn't feel like it. But um, we, you're, if you don't, you're going to run into the situation where, like the previous collar, where they overbear and then you end up hurting the plant, you know, structurally because you have branches broken and so forth. But I would say, you know, like the nectarines, there, there's a good chance we lost a ton of flower buds um, in early January with those, those cold spells. So uh, I don't think you're going to hurt anything by pruning now. All right. Here's one from Lisa. She says, we planted what I think is a fir tree several years ago. It's doing very well, but I've noticed a bit of rust on an occasional tip of a branch or a bit more. And I wonder if I should treat it now or soon. If so, what should I use? How much? How often? What do you suggest? Hmm. Um, I would make sure first that it's it's um, it is a disease like a fungus or something like that and not like a winter burn or something like that. Um, and now isn't really going to be a good time to uh, apply something like a fungicide. Um, and so in this, when it gets a little warmer in the spring, when uh, growth starts to resume, um, taking a good look at it, making sure it's not winter burn and that it is indeed some type of disease, um, is going to be the very first step and then kind of going from there. Cause if it's winter burn, there's nothing to do. Um, I would be surprised that there would be uh, a disease developing in winter. If I see browning or like a, a dark reddening kind of situation this time of year, it's almost certainly going to be winter damage. Um, especially given that the plant is relatively new, newly planted, right? It was recently transplanted. So, um, it's got a, a compromised root system. It's not getting quite as much moisture because the root system is smaller, so it's more prone to desiccation or drying out. So, um, and that makes it more prone to winter damage. So, I would wait um, and identify it uh, more concretely before moving forward. All right. Here's a question from Doug. He says, five years ago, we had flourishing raspberry bushes. Since that time, they've declined dramatically and now produce only a small crop, probably about 20 percent of the original crop. At about that time, I put wood chip mulch on the path and around the plants. Could that have caused the decline? The wood chips were from the city pile. Yeah, um, if you're not fertilizing with nitrogen, especially, you know, wood is a very nitrogen sparse mulch. And so depending on the quantity of wood you put out there, it may be tying up some nitrogen, but also, um, you know, for some people, they let the patch get wider and wider and then it gets shaded in the middle. And so, uh, you know, I consider if, if you're applying nitrogen on an annual basis, not a lot because that wood mulch can tie up nitrogen and, and, and limit growth, but also if you're not 
pruning them appropriately by keeping a, your patch very narrow, you get a lot of shade in there and that can reduce your yield too. Should he try to remove the wood chips? Um, you know, if it's like a mulch volcano around them, then yeah. Um, just because it, it, it can kind of choke them out a little bit. But um, if it's, you know, just a couple inches, it's probably not a big deal. I would, I would add some nitrogen fertilizer. But if it's a, you know, mulch volcano around them kind of thing, then yeah, I'd pull it back. All right. Randall Voss, thank you so much for being on the show today. No problem. Thank you. Randall Voss, Iowa State University commercial fruit crop specialist. And Aaron Style, thank you. You're welcome. Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, will be back with another Horticulture Day two weeks from today. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Danny Gear, Caitlin Troutman, and Samantha McIntosh. We had help today from Kate Perez and from Jason Burns. You never need to miss an episode of Talk of Iowa. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Talk of Iowa. You can also search for Unsettled Iowa as well and listen to our recent series on womanhood. I'm Charity Nebbe. Have a great weekend.